Okay, pasa Mufasa. Welcome to the Mycopreneur Podcast. Today on the pod, we are honored to host Garrett from Unicorn Bags, one of the world's leading wholesale manufacturers of mushroom grow bags that a number of you out there are no doubt very familiar with already. So by, by using these oxobiodegradable bags, uh, we basically eliminate the need for it to go to a recycling center, which effectively functions as an insurance policy against litter. Unicorn Bags is in their 32nd year of prosperous business, and today they are as cost-effective, efficient, and popular a product as they have ever been in their long and celebrated history. Today we're going to unpack some of the more niche aspects of the Unicorn Bags performance standards. From the environmental testing in a country no less plastic averse than Rwanda, to the difference between biodegradable and oxo-biodegradable. We're gonna talk about some of the more recent product offerings under the Unicorn brand, and we're also gonna dip into entomopathogenic fungi. What does that even mean? So all you science majors, please stand up. And for the rest of us, let's take this as an opportunity to appreciate the craftsmanship and attention to detail that goes into the products we sometimes take for granted, but that are absolutely essential in enabling our own mycopreneurial pursuits. So let's get down to business. Okay, Pasa Mufasa, Garrett from Unicorn Grow Bags. Welcome to the Mycopreneur Podcast. How's it going today, Garrett? Thanks, going pretty well. About yourself, Dennis? I'm doing fantastic. We've got a mid-afternoon rainstorm here, so there's a little ambient noise in the background, but I'm ready to get down to business. You know how it goes. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah, I got a fans going in the background. It's, you know, it's Texas. It's hot. <laughs> it's hot out there. I know it well. So, Garrett, y'all have a really awesome niche in the mushroom cultivation industry, and I'm curious how you identified it. Like, was making OXO biodegradable mushroom grow bags Something that y'all always dreamed of doing as little kids, or is it something? How did you start off with unicorn grow bags? Yeah, so um, in in the late '80s, uh, the founder Lou Shu, um, which I'm, I might be butchering that name. I'm sorry, Lou, if you're listening. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, he he immigrated from China in the late '80s, and him and Paul Stamets uh, got together. Uh, it may, might be mid '80s. Anyway, uh, him and Paul Stamets got together and developed the what we now sell is our 14A bag. Um, it's, we kept that name as sort of a, an homage to those first uh, 13 or so prototypes that didn't quite make the cut. Um, fast forward to 2002, and Lou became aware of a company called Willow Ridge Plastics, and they came out with a oxo-biodegradable uh, plastic that was shown to degrade without the use of any, any composting equipment um, or recycling plant. It was up until then, uh, the only way, if you wanted to to degrade your, your plastic, you either had to have a, a completely um, uh, starch-based type of plastic that can't hold up under autoclave, it can't take 15 PSI, uh, can't hold up into those extreme conditions, or have it be sent off to a, an expensive uh, recycling center, like I said. So by, by using these oxo-biodegradable bags, uh, we basically eliminate the need for it to go to a recycling center, which effectively functions as an insurance policy against litter. Because I mean, the vast majority of customers are going to dispose of it properly anyway, but there's always that, you know, like 10% like of product that doesn't quite find its way to either a landfill or a cycle center or whatever, for whatever reason, maybe it, it falls out of the truck or something, you know, whatever happens. Um, this is essentially an insurance policy against that. And the only drawback is that um, it, it's like, it's less than five cents 
uh, per bag extra. So cost is, is negligible. Um, the only drawback is that it has to be used within the first two months of manufacture because it has a planned life cycle of four to six months. Um, the way that this works is the, the additive that Willow Ridge makes, um, when we use it, we, we use like 2% uh, to 98%. So the original formula is still there. For all intents and purposes, it can survive the exact same conditions as the normal plastic because it's essentially the same uh, chemical makeup. So when these things are added, this additive is added to the polymer chains, oxygen molecules are, are inserted at certain points. Now the polymer chains themselves, they're not inherently toxic, meaning that there's nothing poisonous about them that would keep uh, bacteria from being able to break it down. It's essentially just that the polymers are too long. So you have these, um, you know, think of it like a, like a toddler trying to eat a steak, you know? It, it needs somebody to, well, first of all, if you're feeding a toddler a steak, like, all right, okay, your bloodline is strong, I guess. Hey, you do you, I'm not judging. Mm -hmm. The analogy that I was, I was getting at in a very ham-fisted way is you gotta cut up the kid's food for him, you know? So these oxygen molecules, oxygen is, you know, it's one of the most volatile elements on the planet. It destroys almost everything that it comes in contact with. And it's a massive evolutionary advantage when we began um, being able to metabolize oxygen. We being, you know, the slime way back in the day, right? So this oxygen, it goes in and it will actually break up these polymer chains um, at certain points. And it'll do this at, in small enough parts, little bits, so that these bacteria and the soil biome can essentially colonize the surface of it and uh, grow, digest the plastic. Um, it is still, it's still a carbon-based chain, so any organism that digests carbon, uh, there is a mechanism to, to get nutrients from it, especially an organism as simple as a bacteria that's literally taking the, the carbon atoms out and eating. There is a bacteria in Japan that was observed uh, doing this uh, without, any, without the aid of anything at all, and so that's pretty cool. Um, looking forward to seeing a lot more research on that end. And then there's also, uh, if you're doing like a mushroom compost, you don't really need oxobiodegradables because mushrooms, especially oysters, oysters will eat anything, as any oyster grower will tell you. Uh, and this includes plastic. So you can have uh, plastic bags mixed up in your oyster bin. Like I said, there's nothing inherently toxic about it. So it's not like you're, uh, it's not like you have to take, take the same precautions as oysters that are doing soil myco uh, remediation, right? So like with that, you know, you're taking toxic metals out and then the oysters just hold on to them. So it's not really a good idea to eat them. Uh, you just got to dispose. And it's a good way to extract the metals from the, the soil. We're getting the chemistry 101 here. This, this is fantastic. No, this is what people need to hear because, I mean, for a lot of the market, it's like, what's the difference between compostable versus biodegradable versus oxo biodegradable? So it's great to hear it from the unicorn's mouth right here yeah. and be able to unpack it yeah. a little bit. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so what I've now I'm not a material scientist, but I've I've looked into this quite a bit. You know, obviously I, I need to, right? Um, and what I found is that there's there was a concerted effort when this technology came out. I'll let you guess by who to mislead the public onto the uh, the efficacy of oxo biodegradables because they came out with oxo degradable. It sounds really similar. If you were a legislator who was writing plastic law, you might even think that they were the same. I wonder if it was intentional. All right, I'm not gonna go all tinfoil hat. Um, essentially, oxo-degradables use the, uh, the oxygen uh, inserting additive to break it up, but it, they don't break up 
in small enough pieces so that they can be digested. So it's essentially a way to create a new type of plastic that needs to be sent to a recycling plant. With OXO biodegradables, it's, you know, that action is happening. And also it's happening at a often enough pace that biodegradation is seen. You can see it, even though it has that four to six month lifespan, you can see it in the first 30 days if you measure the carbonyl index, which is the amount of um, carbon that's, that's mineralized. And this usually happens with metabolic processes. So it's one way that, a uh, cost-effective way to measure um, consumption and you know, metabolism and microbes. Uh, the other way is to measure actual CO2 production. So if you put a CO2 monitor in a tank with one of these bags and just leave it, like this is something you can do at home, like get a, get a little CO2 meter off of Amazon, put it in the thing and just leave it. You'll see the CO2 numbers rise. And that's because the bacteria, even if it's a completely sealed container and there's no more oxygen allowed in the environment, there's still oxygen in the bags and the bacteria are able to, to use that to digest. Because anaerobic bacteria are everywhere and so are aerobic. We have more bacteria on us and in us than we do human cells. So when, when the aerobic bacteria die off because there's no more oxygen in the air, the anaerobic ones take over. And this is also the, the premise of why it's an insurance policy against litter. Because once it gets out there in the field, you know, it's exposed to all the air and the UV rays. UV is just as volatile as oxygen, if not more so. So that's just another vector of breaking it down a little more, you know, a little more finely. Cutting up the baby's food for them. Love you know? that you closed the loop on that metaphor wow. right there. And, you know, yeah. the whole idea of yeah. regenerative <laughs> packaging is one of the things that drove me to want to launch this podcast and to talk to more micropreneurs. I read a book by Trad Cotter called Mycoremediation and Organic Mushroom Farming a couple years ago. And that really introduced a lot of these concepts mm -hmm. to me. And since then, you know, there's been a number of different outfits who have launched their own operations. Of course, Ecovative is, is a big influence to uh, a lot of people trying to design. And there's this uh, just really awesome to see that there are people involved in the mushroom industry who are very aware of uh, exactly what their product life cycle is and how it's breaking down and how that's impactful. Mm -hmm. And something that stood out to me is I noticed on the Unicorn Grow Bags website that you're using a lot of projected data and analyses from different studies. And a couple of them were conducted in Rwanda in maybe 2016. And I find that so interesting that they were literally these bags and, and the, the materials used in them were being tested against rare flora and fauna, not just like regular degular, like throw it on the side of the road, but like in really biodiverse yeah. ecosystems. Can you speak on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Rwanda has, they actually have one of the, the most um, anti single use plastic governments um, in the world. It's an incredibly clean country because they, they ban almost all single use plastic bags. It might be all single use actually. Um, I'll have to look on that, but long story short, they're very anti-plastic uh, waste over there. So if the, the thinking of that is if this compound is good enough for, for those standards, then there's, there's no question that it would be good enough for anywhere else in the world. And now that, that test, it cost, um, I was told it cost upwards of uh, $20,000 a month. So that's why it was only run for two years instead of the three to four that it takes to fully break down a bag. Um, but there's, as you can see on the graph, there's no change in the curve whatsoever. After you pass that initial four to six month stall period, that's supposed to be the, the usable lifespan, right? And this is the shelf life of it. After that passes, it's just, it's basically a flat trajectory 
um, at, at, at an almost 45 degree angle. Who would have known, who would have known that in, in Central Africa and Rwanda, they would have such stringent ecological standards for products and whatnot, which is awesome. Hats off to them. And I wish, I wish that a lot oh, yeah. of the major consumer yeah. nations would probably would be able to adopt similar scrutiny and standards in, in the processes that they employ. Oh, yeah. Well, it's because, you know, it's it, plastic. It's insidious because it's so cheap. It's so affordable to, to package pretty much anything like that. A lot of the developing nations are the, the major producers of uh, a lot of plastic waste. Uh, and that's one thing that that there's not a whole lot of of pushback from the from the various environmental groups, like the one, the true blue one, like the actual good guys, like people who know this and are taking steps for this, like doing tremendous work. But for the main, sort of the mainstream environmental groups, it's sort of a quagmire because they don't want to get accused of being racist for saying that a developing nation has a problem with plastic. But at the same time, it's it, it's an economic problem because they they literally they physically can't afford to package things sustainably, uh, just because it's you know it's a couple of cents extra, but you know every penny counts. So they their their economies are much more geared towards well, let's let's get to the point where we can afford these solutions. Um, and that's why I'm really excited about oxobiodegradables and I can't wait for some type of expedition, expedite. I know there's a word for that, expediting. I, I think you oh, conjugated that. it right, expedition, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah conjugated sure. Not an expedition, but an expediting way of getting things uh, transfer, transported internationally. All right, so one thing that COVID lockdowns taught us is the, the complete and total vulnerabilities in our supply chains and the fact that it takes months for something to reach, uh, something that it, it's essentially a two-week boat ride. But because of all of these layers of red tape and bureaucracy, it, it can take months, if not you know, a couple of years. Like, there's still uh, ships in, in Europe that are waiting to, not ships, but cargo containers in Europe that are waiting to be distributed that from before lockdown. Yeah. So once once that gets cleared up, it's going to be much easier for these more cost effective uh, oxobiodegradable bags because we're not it's not our formula. We just use Willow Ridge's formula and they're selling to all kinds of people. So if they can sell to a plastic manufacturer that can get that into the hands of people in, who are using single use plastics all over the world, no matter where they live, that's going to go a very long way to eliminating plastic waste, because as you can see in the in the the studies, it dissolves plastic. You know, it's not just an out in the dry land thing. It dissolves it in the ocean as well. Salt water and fresh water, it dissolves plastic because there's organisms in both of them and they both get tremendous amounts of UV light. And there's oxygen. Out of sure. Water. Yeah. I have many friends uh, based out of Hawaii and elsewhere who are doing a lot of work with ocean conservation and plastic in the oceans is a huge issue. And like, yeah, there was a viral video a couple years ago of a, a girl paddleboarding in the Los Angeles River, and she's literally paddleboarding through piles of trash. And um, so I think that we have our work cut out for us collectively. But you just touched on something I want, I want to unpack a little bit, which is this idea of the global supply chain and how a lot of people who are cultivating mushrooms are starting to like look for ways to achieve more food equity or security and abundance and more and more people are starting to launch their own little neighborhood grow operations just in their backyards or in a shipping container which is yeah. freaking awesome and I absolutely love it and I'd love to hear about um, how COVID and the, the pandemic has impacted your business. Have you seen a, a rise in demand because more people are looking for this kind of outlet, maybe a creative outlet or maybe a sense of security or maybe just that education and transparency is becoming 
broadcast more widely so more people are able to get in and start growing for themselves because basically everybody I've talked to who has a mushroom business for this podcast has been expanding over the while everything else is starting to like kind of close up and people are having to pivot it seems like everyone who has a mushroom farm Mm -hmm. is just like you know can't even keep up with the demand Um, I'd love to hear your experience throughout the last two years yeah yeah absolutely um you know, suddenly, every, the, 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 the joke that I like to use is suddenly everybody is at home looking for a new hobby, you know? Uh, and we were fortunate we were able to fill that niche. Um, we, did have, we did have trouble when the lockdown first happened because uh, with staffing. Um, a, lot of these, a lot of these restrictions, like you have to wear a face mask if you work in close proximity with people. Um, even though we have HEPA filters running in the actual production room itself just to cut down on dust and you know whatever else we try to make it as clean as possible obviously we we're not gonna do it in an actual clean room because then the bags would be like a dollar fifty each and nobody's gonna buy that um but we make we try to make it as clean as possible and even though we go you know so far to provide this this sterile clean environment um lord government comes in and says that oh you have to you know do all of these things now too and so, unfortunately, that kind of kind of hamstringed us a little bit. Um, as, as of today, I believe we're still two weeks behind on all of our orders. So if you if you go to unicornbags.com, um, not the retail, I'm running that part myself. Um, so if you go to unicorngrowbag.com, uh, I'll just grab something off the shelf and I'll send it to you. You know, usually same day. Um, but the wholesale side of it, where you know, if you order something on Unicorn Bag, it's two weeks until it even comes out of the machine uh, 10 business days and the machines the machines are running at capacity as well uh, we're having we're having to run diesel generators at some points just so that we don't blow circuit breakers because we're just running so many machines trying to extrude enough bags to keep up with uh, with demand uh, which is a good problem to have don't get me wrong that's a great problem to have um, the the challenge there is figuring out if if this is a fad or not Right, so we don't want to invest in a in a new you know giant facility to ramp up production, and then all of a sudden nobody wants to grow mushrooms anymore, and it's just the farmers. Not that not that's bad because that's what we built our our business on is you know being a wholesale supplier to farmers. That's what that's how we got to where we are today. But with with so many uh, people filling filling that middle niche, we so there's a lot of hobby growers that are just on the threshold of buying a thousand bags at a time. And that's that's sort of the niche that we hit when when COVID happened. Sure. Well, shifting gears a little bit, I, I noticed on your website too that uh, I don't know if this is a joke or not. I, I doubt it is, but that you mentioned that unicorn grow bags are marketed as breathable bags for entomopathogenic fungi, mushrooms, and mushroom spawn. Now, I get the feeling most yeah. people buying your product are are focusing on the last two, on mushrooms and mushroom spawn. And based off of some cursory mm-hmm. Google searches, I realized entomopathogenic fungi are parasitic fungus that kills or disables insects. So cordyceps immediately came to mind, right? And uh, however, yeah. most of the cordyceps I'm familiar exactly. with, the militaris, which I have some cultures myself, and that's usually grown on brown rice. So who is growing entomopathogenic fungi? Uh, so there's another fungi, uh, Bufa Bessin. I knew it starts with a B. I knew what it was before I tried to remember it. I'll think of it at like either in the next two yeah, and a half minutes no or at like 2.30 in the morning. Don't worry. Uh, I'll just chip out a bit. Ah, it was that. Um, but there, there's, a, there's a number of different par- uh, insecticidal fungi. Uh, the thing with cordyceps, cordyceps, uh, not militaris, but cordyceps, uh, the wild growing cordyceps in China, 
is actually more valuable pound for pound than gold and platinum. Um, it, it is incredibly valuable, um, but that's because it has that, that full spectrum from, from the insect, right? So when it grows from the insect, it grabs all of those nutrients and it, you have all the secondary metabolites that take place. Uh, as the insect breaks down and there's all these other interesting chemical reactions that take place and it basically gives humans um, and warm-blooded animals all of the benefits that uh, evolution gave to insects. But it, it's way, way, way more complicated than that. I dumbed it down, not dumbed it down, but I, I simplified it probably too much with that. But the, the short version is that using these these bags, you can do that with the wild cordyceps, the, the incredibly picky, because they, they only like particular kinds of caterpillars, unless we change their tastes over generations. And that's what Paul Stamets did when he um, made the non-sporulating uh, anti-ant. So that's uh, generally the sinensis, right? The wild ones. And, and people are actually able to cultivate this stuff using some of these bags because I'm familiar and very inspired by a lot of the foragers over in Bhutan and southern China who go out and and wild forage for this stuff. And I know that's become an issue because it's so profitable and competitive that a lot more people have been going out. And so so is the stories that I've been hearing from afar. But I had never personally heard of someone cultivating one of these insect growing fungi and i get so wow that's pretty awesome to hear this is the first time hearing of this yeah it, it is possible it's very there's a very high startup cost because you don't just farm the mushrooms you farm the caterpillars too or anything else that the mushroom eats and you have to get that one specific caterpillar and both insects and fungi are subject to uh customs laws trade laws like they don't the government gets really, really, for good reason, they get really, really nervous when people start bringing uh, foreign organisms across the across borders because, you know, obviously invasive species. That's why we have, you know, kudzu vines in the in the southeast and that's why we have, you know, carp. I think carp is an invasive species, isn't it? I don't know. I know there's some invasive species. It's like... Pythons is another big one. Yeah, pythons, iguanas in Florida. Javelinas are pigs, like, too. Yeah. We have an issue with pigs, I think, in California. Yeah. Oh my God, don't get me started on hogs. I've been in Texas. <laughs> out there, yeah. At least you got a good uh, way to handle them with your barbecue out there, though. Right. <laughs> oh, that's the thing with hogs, though, is it's so, they're so diseased that most of the time you can't even eat them because mm. they're just riddled with parasites. Well, so I'm curious about the day to day hustle at Unicorn because I've seen a few snapshots on the Instagram page you have. Uh, what the factory looks like, but is your your process pretty optimized and standardized, or would you say it's like a lot of other people with micropreneurial ventures who are having to wear a lot of hats, having to put out fires, like having to constantly pivot and adapt? What's that day to day hustle look like for you? No, it's pretty streamlined. Um, we've we've been around for a little bit over thirty years now, and so it's a it's a pretty good process that uh, Lou has figured out. Um, he gives me kind of free reign to do uh, marketing as I see fit, uh, which is, it, it's, we've done very well. I don't want to break my arm, you know, <laughs> but it hasn't sucked, I'll tell you that. But when I, when I approached him about taking on this contract and doing marketing, uh, I approached him in a way of, you know, I, I told him straight out I didn't want to be another, another advertiser, right? I didn't want to be uh, another bland, faceless uh, corporation type of thing. I didn't want uh, just straight, completely straight-laced posts. I want to add value to people's feet because th the example that I used is like people who follow, follow McDonald's on social media. Like, what kind of value are they getting out of that? Like, really? Do, do you really need to know when the McRib is back? Is it that important? I, I don't know. 
But that's, you know, he, he agreed that, you know, it's something to add value. And so that's how uh, sort of memes took off. I was doing, originally I was doing much more uh, straight-laced advertisements with, uh, you know, just a little bit of humor mixed in here and there. And then uh, I just posted a meme and it took off. And so I was like, well, guess I better give the people what they want. And we're all grateful for that. Yeah, I love the memes on the page. Yeah, it's a, a, a tremendous amount of personality. You know? I mean, I think it's a sense of guerrilla marketing, but it's done in a very legitimate professional way. And you have the product to back it up. So I'm, I'm all in on the, the meme marketing personally. Yeah, <laughs> good. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> That's sort of my my area over here. Um, I don't. I'm not. I'm not the person who's making the bags. Um, there's there's people who they trained on how to run the machines and all that. But we did do. Uh, to, I'll go in for uh, to document like uh, quality control and to do like yeah, I did the video on that uh, giant autoclave. I saw it. That yeah. you might have seen. That was like three feet by six feet and just absurdly large. Um. So I'll go in and do things like that. Um, the warehouse is about 40 minutes away from me, so it's not like a daily commute kind of thing. Sure. Well, and in that same regard, I would love to know, um, I think I saw one of the videos about some of the differences between growing with a jar or using a grow bag. And uh, as a lot of, you know, obviously your business and is more wholesale. And I know a number of these farmers and people listen to this podcast have been kind of amazed, like out in Australia and in Finland and stuff like that. But I'm curious, what, for like the novice cultivator, like someone, you know, I'm not a professional cultivator. I have a couple different strains going. I'm very interested in developing. But like when you first start, usually it's like you either get a jar or you get a bag. And I'm just curious about like what are some of the advantages to using each? And, um, do, you know, is, is starting with a jar and cultivating like a noble pursuit? Or should you just like go straight for the unicorn grow bags and start to, you know, do your gusset folds and your straight folds and all that? Hmm. Um, first of all, I don't recommend gusset folds. Um, but uh, that aside, um, jars jars have their advantages. Um, they're very good for uh, smaller operations, and they're very good for for learning. Um, because this is, I mean, this is a truth that nobody likes to talk about. You will fail your first couple of times growing mushrooms. You're you're gonna get like an eighty percent contamination rate if you're lucky. Like I'm I'm sorry to be the one to tell you this, but it's happened to me. Happens to most people. It's, it's very very. Very, very rare that somebody gets success right off the bat and, and doesn't screw up. Nobody likes talking about their failures, though, so it's kind of a eh. But so with jars, you can, you know, you wash them out and you reuse them and you can, you can try again without having to order more bags or, um, you know, buy more 90-minute rice tech or 90-second rice packets from the grocery store. Um, which are also, you know, the Uncle Ben tech is also uh, great for beginners. Um, but jars, jars are definitely good for small operations. What about with cordyceps? Uh, do people grow cordyceps? I feel like most when I see a production facility and some of the photos I've seen or people I've seen, they're, they're using jars for that. But is that something that's legitimate to be able to grow cordyceps militaris in the unicorn bags? Yeah, all you need is a tray. Um, the bag itself is just a container. So as long as you have, uh, we have a lot of people who lay the bags down flat sideways. And they'll put like a like a like a shallow tray, like a wide shallow tray inside, um, and seal that way. And they get great results doing that. Um, you you can absolutely grow cordyceps in a, in a unicorn bag. That's good to know. You know, I've got a couple of the liquid cultures I'm looking at uh, getting going right now. So. Um Nice. So, yes, um, I'm, I'm also, you know, touching base about a few of the things here. Let's see if I can pick up again. Oh, I want to know the question everyone's dying to hear is when can we expect to hear more unicorn grow bag ASMR on major streaming platforms? 
<laughs> well, if that's what the people want, I guess I got to go ahead and deliver. Uh, I've never really been into ASMR, but I mean, if that's what the people want, I'll do you know, it. I just, I really enjoyed those videos when I was, I was watching them and yeah. I subscribed to the YouTube channel. <laughs> Shout out, you know, a lot of people on the Instagram, but uh, may not know that there's a unicorn grow bags, YouTube channel also that has some really helpful, you know, yeah. you mentioned the autoclave video you were just talking about and a, a few other things. And there's a wonderful sense of humor to it as well. So I uh, just want to give a shout Thanks. out for the YouTube channel. If anybody wants more content, they're looking for more. Um, how how about, you. Uh, yeah. you know, I don't have too many more topics I wanted to touch on because I feel like mostly I just wanted to hear about the difference between OXO biodegradable and biodegradable and kind of the company ethos. And uh, But I'd love to hear if uh, there are any upcoming projects on the horizon. I know, like you mentioned, you're already at capacity. The machines are running and you got a huge amount of demand. But uh, is that where you're 100% of your focus is right now? Or is there any R&D going on? On that you can share a little bit with us about there is so i do have one little toy let me go over to my shelf real quick uh, i have a couple of these available clamps we recently began producing clamps um, these are um, it's a two-piece plastic clamp these are available um, unfinished there's no you know holes drilled or anything in packs of 30 or i sell them on unicorn grow bags um, i finish them myself i drill out a hole i put in a little screw and a little nut and then this little guy right here needs to be uh, cut at like kind of a curve at about a 45 degree angle. And uh, I just do that myself and I sell them in packs of six. Um, I'm about to start selling mini packs where I basically cut this in half. So it's 10 inches and then I'll sell that with some of our small bags, some of our size fours. Let me put that down so it's not, you know, I'm sure all the listeners loved that. Sorry. <laughs> I think they love the utility that you're offering, the value and, and whatnot. And, you yeah. know, lots of people are looking for how can we do better? How can we optimize? How can we streamline? So and if you have like a trusted brand, a trusted product, like everything else they've done works. I think that that's something to get excited about. It's like something to add to the toolkit. Yeah, that's definitely one way of looking at it. Um, so the clamps, they, they also kind of kind of reinforce the idea of uh, flat folding because they won't actually work with gusset folding. It would be too many layers of plastic. Yeah. Well, I, I think we've touched on everything I wanted to cover today. So I just want to give the podium over to you. If there's anything in particular you'd like to broadcast or something, you know, any of the, the ethos of the company or your own personal philosophy on cultivation, just any parting shots that you might have for the audience. Yeah, sure. Um, well, as far as cultivation goes, um, like I said, nobody talks about their failures, but everybody has them. So if you get it, just keep growing. Don't don't worry about it. Just try to learn from it. Um, definitely walk before you run. I know it's very tempting to buy a million jars and a million bags and just inoculate everything. But until you until you have that good system set up, you know, expect, like I said, expect that that error rate to remain constant, no matter how large you scale it up. Um, so with bags, you can scale up after you've established that sterile technique. But even, you know, 1% failure rate, if you're only doing 100 bags a month and you get one failure, that's not a big deal at all. If you're doing 100,000 bags a month and you get 1,000 failures, that sucks. So that's one thing to definitely keep in mind. Um, as far as upcoming things, the biodegradable bags will be available soon through the outlet store. Uh, the, the new box has been ordered, paid for and everything. It's being made right now as I speak. It's in line to be made. It'll be for sale um, early to mid-July. I'm, I'm, I'm leaning more towards early July. I feel like it'll be ready by then, but definitely it'll be ready by middle of July. 
Use core code UNICORN20 and get 20% off the outlet store and $20 off any online order. Uh, wholesale order, sorry. Of course it would be online. <laughs> Love it. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. And I know our audience appreciates it. And uh, looking forward to following your work closely. And uh, we're over here rooting for the unicorn. Cool, Great. Man. Thanks, Dennis. There's so much to cover in the mushroom universe and so many micropreneurs leveraging the infinite potential of fungi to create a more ecologically balanced, inclusive, and equitable world for all of us mischievous little monkeys. I am completely stoked that you've chosen to spend some of your hard-earned time in our little corner of the microverse. Hop on the gram, say what's up, at Micopreneur Podcast. That's the handle. Don't get it twisted. We've got the full suite of social media up and running. Twitter, Micopreneur. Got the YouTubes dialed in, Micopreneur. Drop us a line. Tell your grandma and your kooky uncle. Tell your wife and your kids. If you're a Micopreneur yourself, you want to hop on the pod, by all means, Willkommen, bienvenidos, welcome. Don't be a stranger. Let us know your thoughts on this episode and also let us know what you want to hear in future episodes. This is a team effort. Thanks for stopping by the Micopreneur Podcast. Have a lovely day. We'll see you back here next week.